Welcome to Ordinary People Doing Extraordinary Things. I'm your host, Carrie Roberts, and I'll be showing you how average, everyday people have chosen to make positive changes in their life to accomplish what makes them happy. I hope this podcast will allow you to feel a connection with people who have something in common with you and make you realize you can have the life you want. Hello, podcast listeners. I am so excited to introduce to you Salomon Sibai, who is the creator of Verse Stories, an organization that helps humans behind headlines. So thank you so much for being here. It's so great to be here. Thank you. Thanks for reaching out. So I found your stories online and I recently watched your story that I think you did about a year ago about the five-year-old Syrian refugee who's working and selling on the streets to feed his family. And I was literally in tears by your incredible storytelling. And I think that you do that so, so well. What do you think makes a great story? Oh, God. Um, what makes a great story? That's a solid, solid first question. And um, what makes a great story? There are so many elements, I think, to making a great story. Um, it depends, first of all, what kind of category you're making it for. For me, and doing news, um, the human story, I think, is really um, important, making sure that that's told without any uh, alternative agenda. Um, so when you're telling the story in news, you really get, you know, the genuine, authentic, um, you know, point of view from the subject you're filming. I find that quite important. Yeah, and from watching some of your videos, you do that really, really well. Now, when Thanks. you were younger, like... Was storytelling always something that you were good at or you liked to do? Like when you were a kid, did you write a lot? Were you filming? What was kind of life for you like a kid in terms of this idea of storytelling? Right. Taking it right back. Um, well, I kind of, I, I grew up in the countryside. So I was, I was brought up on a farm in the middle of nowhere with not a lot of neighbors, but a lot of fields. And for me, kind of living on this farm and growing up on it, I didn't really have much to do. I had all this energy and I was very creative. So I kind of just watched a lot of films, um, in, you know, just day in, day out. And off the back of watching the films, I kind of just started wondering how to make them. So my mom was the first person to bought me a little camera, you know, one of these like kind of dad cans, like really old, 20 years old. And yeah, I was just filming everything and anything and trying to recreate scenes that I'd seen in films um, very unsuccessfully. And in doing that, it just kind of, I was, must have been about 13, 14. And then it just kind of kept spiraling until I left school and I was able to study TV and study film. And that's how it came about, really. And what type of films were you creating? If there was nothing there, like, was it just... Oh, we don't want to talk about them. <laughs> <laughs> They're horrendous. <laughs> they were so bad. Like, they were, oh, we had this, like, old barn and I would just build, um, like, really, you know horrendously looking sets that were like supposed to be something out of like I was obsessed with Indiana Jones and you know Spielberg's Saving Private Ryan and you know all of those epic films so I was trying to like recreate little you know moments and short films that were based on those um with props and just old random things lying around the farm I like it well I mean we, we all have to start somewhere right yeah exactly yeah <laughs> So now, when did you realize that this was something that you were like, okay, not only do I like this, but this is something that I want to make um, a career doing or my life doing? Did you realize that at a very young age? No, I kind of always knew it was, I, I always knew it was an option. But growing up, my father was a car mechanic. So he was like, you know, he wanted to get me into the car trade. And there was always these like kind of, 
no, not so creative roles, the typical kind of um, jobs that were out there. And I did a few whilst I was studying and I was like, you know, this is, this is not for me. So there was like retail jobs, cape, you know, caping and like waitering and restaurants and, and all those typical kind of things. And then as a career choice, I was like, you know, I just like to do something fun that I enjoy. So that's always been part of my kind of ethos in life. Do what you enjoy. Um, so when I, when I graduated, um, from school, I wasn't a great, I, I didn't like education, you know, uh, like physics, biology, and what have you. So I decided to kind of just do what I enjoy. My mom said, just do what you enjoy. So I kind of did that and then followed their, followed those footsteps into um, into studying TV and film in Scotland, of all places. And do you think that like your parents being supportive of that was helpful in you starting that journey? I think it was. I think they were, yeah. Yeah, I think the fact that they were just like, you know, do what you want. I think that's a great... You know, I couldn't have thought about, you know, if it was the other way around and they were just like, you know, you have to be a car mechanic for it. I just, yeah, it just wouldn't have worked. I would have ended up doing something that I wouldn't have enjoyed. So I think having that um, support and freedom to just test the war and, you know, if it didn't work, then maybe I would look at another option. But thankfully it did, I think. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I, you know, I ask that question a lot on this show because unfortunately, a lot of people have parents that are not supportive of something that they love or that they're good at. And then later on in adult life, they struggle with it because now they're an engineer and they're like, oh, I hate this. I really want to be a photographer. So good to know you had that early on. What would be like a suggestion to somebody that maybe didn't have that supportive upbringing for someone to go into something they really want to do? Do you have any advice for that? It's a hard one, really. I mean, I think doing something you don't like doing actually makes you realize what you do like doing. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's not actually a bad way to go down and do like a law degree and then become a lawyer for two years and then realize, oh, no, this is not for me. And I'd rather be a musician, which actually happened to a friend of mine, you know, really smart, successful guy. And he was like, sack it off, you know, and he went off and did a, uh, you know, started a band and what have you. So I feel that like doing what you don't like to start isn't actually a bad thing as soon as, you know, as long as you realize what you do like in the end. If that yeah. makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I, I've done that many times. I know that there's things that I'm like, oh, I think I might like this. And then I try it and I'm like, nope, that's not it. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> so that's a good thing. That's stuff, like you said, yeah. Yeah, that's a really good thing. I think that's a great thing, yeah. So now you, after college, you went, uh, I know you worked for a couple different news agencies. Now, how did you yeah. kind of get into that? Was that an easy process? Did you know someone? Did you submit something? What kind of got you into doing that? Um, I was very... Um, I know I was dedicated and looking for work, but I was, I think it was also like a sprinkle of luck. Um, so, you know, so when I, when I graduated, I was part of this, uh, I got, um, do you want the backstory? I don't know if you want the whole story. Yes, we want it all. Yes. I don't know if you want the whole story. I don't know <laughs> I if think it's, you know, the, so part of the reason I do this show is like, I feel like there's so much about like the top 1% or the people that don't have a lot or it's always like oh I was on my couch and now I'm making millions or all these things and I think it's the middle that's interesting for me in the story Mm -hmm. so yeah I think it's really important for us to hear that yeah well basically it was I was in school studying tv and film into my third year to cut cut the story short I got given the teacher was going around with flyers oh there's this thing you can apply for it's a scheme a tv scheme going on every year so I submitted it you know, didn't think much of it. Two months later, I got an email on my phone that I was very close to deleting. Anyway, I, I realized I had my name in the subject. So I was like, okay, it's quite personal. Opened it up and I got accepted onto this course. 
Um, and then I was a bit curious to what this course was because I didn't really remember, you know, filling out the forms, you know, a few months back. And it ended up becoming one of these uh, really prestigious uh, TV festival held in Edinburgh every year. Um, and that was a paid uh, weekend that uh, would put me in the forefront of meeting lots of big wigs in television. So, you know, controllers, execs, BBC, and really get strong insight into how the television industry works in the UK. So that three days I kind of took uh, so much away, more than really a year or two years in, in college, uh, to be honest. And then from then on, I, I built contacts, network uh, with some people, tried to keep in touch, and then graduated um, and got a place uh, straight into ITV Studios in London, which was very lucky. Um, it was a short contract that kept rolling over that then turned into a staff contract. And I was there for quite some time, five years later. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that's good. I am very big on like certain things happen at certain times. And right. I'm sure in your gut, you were like, I think I need to go to this. I think I need to be a part of this. And then you start to kind of yeah. see what happens. Exactly. Yeah. And it was hard even then when I got that like first three month contract, it was, you know, it was hard to hold on to. Um, so I really had to make sure I was um, very, you know, pushy and kind of, you know, made myself slightly indispensable. And how did you do that? How did I do that? That's a good question. Well, um, at the time, which was about eight years ago, there was the DSLR wave. And it was the, you know, everyone was filming videos with DSLRs and making things look very cinematic. So when I got my first gig, which was in development, entertainment development at ITV Studios, I was, um, I knew how to shoot with these DSLRs and make things look very good at very low cost. Um, and this was the very first phase of these DSLRs. So when I arrived in entertainment development, they needed taster tapes to be made. So as well as ideas, they needed like, you know, Sizzler. I don't know if you call them Sizzlers in America. And to pitch to potential channels to try and get commissions. So because I could shoot and make things look very good at a low budget, I um, ended up making myself indispensable in that respect because they, they kept, you know, using me to kind of like make their video, make their ideas come to life a bit on a very low cost. So that was, a, that was a really good thing, I think, that kind of came my way. Now, did you know that you were good at that? Or you were just kind of like, let me try this, and you started getting great feedback and kept doing it? Well, no. I'd, 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 they were, I think that the company were actually trialing out some different kind of internal researchers, but I was one of very, uh, of many, sorry, that could actually, of a few, sorry, I was one of few that could actually film so by having that skill, they, I just kind of met someone and he was, he was like filming. So he took me under his wing. And then, you know, a week later I was filming with Arsenal football club stars and stuff with these ideas and you, you know, it just, it kind of snowballed from there, but I'd always been, uh, like I'd always been interested in filming because that, that's what I studied at school. So, yeah. That's great. So now when you started doing stuff with different news channels and different TV, were you doing a lot of human interest stories at the time? Like what was a lot of the work that you were doing? No, I wasn't. So it was a bit of a weird career. I kind of did quite a lot of different things until I found something I really enjoyed. Um, I started, in, as I said, entertainment development, and then it moved to, um, it moved to factual, factual entertainment. Um, and then from then on, it moved into a bit more documentary stuff. And then news because I was so attracted um towards uh, a genre that could you could be able to do something one day and it would be on TV the next. So there wouldn't be that long three month, you know, 
development and then production and then post-production. You could just literally get it straight out there. So I was really uh, interested in kind of cutting my teeth and doing something quite instant. So um, I ended up working on Good Morning Britain, which was the flagship show, one of the flagship shows in the UK, um, like Breakfast TV. I think you have Good Morning America. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I ended, I ended up working on Britain's version of that for a few years, um, which kind of got my um, got me interested in journalism. That's great. Now I'm curious because, you know, I'm sure you're here in the U.S., you know, a lot of times our current president will talk about fake news and people, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's this yeah. channel for this side of the government and this side. And, and on, to be honest, I don't really watch any news because I find it to be very depressing a lot of the times. Um, yeah. But how, like being in that field, like how much of what we're seeing is true or is it edited in a certain way depending on the station i'm just curious what your take is on that kind of having been in it obviously in a different place in the world it's such a good question and i think it's very valid because skipping a few well i mean from good morning britain when i where i worked for a few years and then moved over to trt which again is a state-run channel in uh turkey it's their like bbc of turkey kind of flagship channel and then working there for a couple of years you end up starting to realize that I think news, well, news channels definitely have their own agenda because they're financially backed by people who have their own perspective and opinions. And that all whittles down to how the news is told. And sadly, I feel like with any, you know, and I think it's now common knowledge that with any channel you do watch, you know that they are biased to a certain degree to, to their own kind of, you know, to their own agendas. And that's something when, that's something that raised an alarm for me. Yeah, I mean, I, that makes sense. And it's unfortunate because then you can't always tell like, what's true and what isn't. Um, so now yeah. talk about, I, I read a little bit on your website with your verse company. Um, how did you make that transition from kind of being in that where you felt like, okay, this doesn't really fit with who I am and transitioned into something completely different that you wanted to do? Well, yeah. Um, it basically started when I was working for uh, TRT for a few years, then there was a point where I was continually going to places that were uh, in need of help. Um, you know, like, for example, war zones, refugee camps, things that were quite disastrous, um, places that were quite disastrous. And in doing so, I kind of realized that I wasn't actually helping anyone. I think it kind of just kept building up. And I think it's happened as well. Uh, more so, bells started to ring when I went to Grenfell, which I don't know if you know, was a disaster in a tower that was lit on fire accidentally in London. I didn't, do you know the story? I do not, no. You do not. Okay. So it happened about last, last year, late last year, I think, um, mid last year. Anyway, this, this building, you know, there's a massive investigation carried out and it killed, you know, I think up to about hundred people. And um, so anyway, I had to go down to the site, um, and look for some interviews and films of people. And in doing so, I met people who really weren't interested in talking to me. You know, they just felt that the news wasn't actually doing anything for them. So, um, as well as that, they were discussing, you know, people were also venting their anger towards charities. There was a Red Cross charity happening at the time and a lot of money, the public were donating to them, but they weren't being fed back to the victims of Grenfell. Um, so there was a lack of transparency there, as well as um, people on the, on the, at Grenfell that were sick of just news companies coming in and asking for like an interview and not really giving them anything, you know, just taking that interview and then taking it back to the station to use for, you know, for, for their audience and their rating figures. So I think it was a train journey coming back from Grenfell. I was like, you know what, this, this got, there's got to be a way to be able to tell stories and help people. 
Um, and I hadn't really seen that before. So that was kind of this, this, this first stepping stone really towards creating verse. Interesting. That's an interesting perspective. I mean, it, it makes unfortunate sense. Um, yeah. You know, when you were, I'm just curious, when you're in these places that our, our war zones are not doing well, yeah. um, how do you, first of all, protect yourself and get interviews? I mean, do you speak multiple languages? Like, how does that whole process even work when you're in a place like that? Oh, I do. Yeah, I speak Arabic and I speak English. So the Arabic's helped very well because of obviously the Syrians, uh, the, the situation in Syria. Um, but yeah, usually when we're with a company, there's, you know, um, convoy, we go there with security. It's quite, you know, uh, professionally done. So it's quite easy to gain access and you're with government officials. And yeah, it's quite a long process. But um, when you're with a big company, it's easier than when you're kind of, you know, running an independent Right. Channel. Yeah. Right. So now what was your first story that you did for verse? What was the first one that you covered and created? Okay, cool. So taking it back from Grenfell, um, I then came back from London covering the Grenfell back into Istanbul, doing my day-to-day, you know, job. And I thought, you know, what if I could do something because in Istanbul there's such an influx this the Turkey alone, there's 3.4 million Syrians, uh, refugees. So I was like, you know, what if I could do something along, you know, one of these unfortunate Syrians living in Turkey and see how that goes uh, and put it online and try, you know, see if we can help someone. So I went to a really a small, a small district that had a lot of Syrians in Istanbul and came across the boy, um, the Syrian street seller, five-year-old Syrian street seller that you saw. Um, and, in, and then I decided to do a film around him and see if I could do something that would help him get you know, help them uh, get into school or, you know, kind of get them off the street selling, really. So I did that. That was my first video that I did for Verse. Uh, I mean, it's a good first one to start with. Like I said, the whole time I'm like, there's tears towards the end. And then uh, it's really neat to see, you know, you feel for this young boy. Um, And I think what's always interesting to me as, as I meet other people from all over the world and you talk to different people, you know, we all are human and we all share the same wants and needs, despite the fact yeah. that we live elsewhere. Um, and yeah. to hear, to hear the, the father say, you know, I, I feel worse than anyone else to see my son yeah. having to do this at five years old. And um, I can only imagine what that's like. So when you do these videos um, and people are now responding to it, what is kind of that next process as far as like the donations and how do you get it to them and, and kind of uh, doing the second part of the video? Yeah. Um, well, it's been a learning curve, to be honest, because I wasn't expecting such a response. When we put the video out, people did jump on it and said, look, how can we help this guy? So I had no platform then. So I was like, well, how, what should we, how do I go about this? So it's like, I think I created a, like a go, as a fund, fundly go fundly or something, like mm-hmm. a, just a website that I could just raise money for it. And then the money kept coming in, which was amazing. Um, and then I thought, well, it was coming up to Eid. So we decided to surprise them. Eid is like a, a big celebration for Muslims. So it was coming up to a big Eid celebration. And I, we thought, um, well, I thought I'd team up with someone I knew who was this Syrian singer at the time to present him with this money. Um, and also um, sometimes find money is not the best thing to provide someone because you don't know what they're going to do with it. So education, um, looking at the comments that people were you know, sending, getting him into school was a priority as well as meals and food. So we looked into trying to get him into school, which we got uh, for three months, summer school in Istanbul, as well as 100 free meals. 
at a local restaurant. He spoke to this uh, the chef restaurant there, and uh, the chef at this restaurant, he was really up for kind of helping out once he knew what we were doing. So we surprised him with these three gifts, which was the thousand pounds, the three months in school, and also free meals. And we took him out on a day and took him to the school and met, 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 met meet the chef, which was just an amazing experience. And his father was there the whole time as well, um, who was really overwhelmed by it all. So that was, yeah, I think that, yeah, that's what we did. That's awesome. And did you do a video to follow up like with his reaction or something with it afterwards? Exactly. I mean, that's what's so key um, with with what we do is transparency. So we make sure that all the funds, you know, all the donations can be seen and 100% of every donation goes to uh, the subject. Um, and when a donation, when a, when a story reaches a certain amount of money, we follow up on a video to make sure that we've seen, you know, when, it, when there's enough money to create a, you know, a sizable impact, then we'll follow up on it. And we keep following up with that story as well. We just did a, he sent a selfie video last week that we published on the website, um, you know, with him in school talking about what he's up to, which was just great for us. I love that. And, you know, I think what's really cool about what you're doing um, is everybody always says they want to help people and they want to do it in a big way. And it's interesting because you're doing like, in a sense, like you're going to different countries and you're doing this video, this grandiose video, but you're yeah. actually doing it one person at a time. And I think that creates more of a connection. And then you're actually able to really know that you're helping someone because you're helping this child or this woman or whatever yeah. for each thing yeah. it makes a bigger difference. So true. I think things can get lost when people take tasks that are a bit too big. And I think also trust and transparency gets lost. You know, we're a very small team and we focus on individuals because we're not going to cure. I don't, I'd like to hope maybe one day we could, but we're not going to cure, you know, the refugee crisis that's happening. So if we can help one individual or help 10 individuals through the videos that we make, then that's, that's enough for us to be able to, you know, to say this person was helped. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now how do you, I know you've done a lot of stuff with uh, Syrian refugees and you've had some other things on there as well. How do you decide yeah. who to do a video on or who to do a story about? That's another great question. Um, and it's something that we, well, basically we look at the news because I think the news is very, uh, it's topical. And there's an audience there that want to, that are concerned about the issues they hear about. Um, and when we look at the news, we don't look at, you know, um, a, cr- a car crash and, you know, some something that's not got longevity, you know, a car crash in a road or something. It's just, you know, next day, something that's just shortcut news. Um, we look for something with a bit more longevity. So, you know, headlines um, like climate change, social inequality, um, you know, the refugee crisis, things like that, environmental issues and stuff. So we look at those issues that are kind of always in the news and we try and help individuals behind those stories. Yeah, I think that's a good way to do it. What do you find is the most challenging thing that you've come across while doing this project? Oh, God. Um, Every day is a challenge. It's so hard. And uh, we try to keep the, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's such a, um, well, it's been a, it's been a, I mean, it's only been about seven months going now. So it's been a fine, it's been the challenge for us is to make sure that we're creating content um, and finding people that really are in need and making sure that we can try and help them. So I think that's the challenge is to try and make sure that we're actually making an impact and um, whether that's, you know, uh, translating the story, you know, um, you know, how the story is told to the individual, uh, to, the, to our viewers, you know. I think that's always a balance that we're trying to make sure is a, is a success. 
so we can fulfill our purpose. Do you know what I mean? Otherwise, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's good. I, I mean, it's it's very obvious that you know, you're a very genuine person and you really care about the cause. And having been a storyteller since you were a young kid, you know, you have all this experience in bringing out that human interest story. And I think that that's great. I mean, it shows in your work tremendously. Oh, that's brilliant. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So what is kind of your vision for this company or for yourself or anything in general as you kind of look forward? Well, uh, that's a good question. I mean, we just like to, I mean, just keep doing what we're doing. I think it'd be great to grow a little bit more, but not too much. Um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I mean that, I think that's, I can't really, uh, if we could help more people and roll out some more stories, I think that would be a great thing because right now we do about two stories a month so we can increase that a little bit more, but not too much because we also realize that we're asking people for help. So there's a fine line with how much help people are willing to give. But as we grow our audience, hopefully that can increase too. So it's just small steps really. Yeah. Really. I don't really know the answer to where it's going to go, but I'm just going to keep going. Yeah. And it seems, you know, as I'm hearing your story, you know, um, you talked about the support from your parents early on and, you know, uh, also just your ability to kind of take little things one step at a time and try it. Mm -hmm. And you seem very calm at the same time. Like, where do you think all that comes from? Do you think that that was something that your parents taught you growing up? Do you think that's just how you're made genetically? Um, because it seems like a really like successful path in the way that you're doing things, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, just things changed. I think perspective, perspective, my perspective changed on what I was doing because I left, I mean, I left a six figure job. You know, I was very, I had a very great career seven years I was building up, you know, but this, the status, the title and the, the, the finance, I was, you know, financially rich was spiritually kind of poor, you know, I didn't really have a, I didn't really know where I was going and what I wanted. And so I kind of took a step back and realized that this isn't really worth it. To me, the difference between ordinary and extraordinary is just an everyday person, just trying, just taking a chance, just listening I to think, their, gut or their soul and like doing it little by little. So I'm just curious where you think that comes from for you. I think it's just, uh, I think you've just got to take it slowly. I think sometimes, sometimes people, and I, I'm, you know, I'm victim to it is to try and get what you want now, you know, get what you want in the future now. And that's never going to work. So, um, taking things slowly, learning each, you know, day by day to create what you want in the end. Um, I think is, is the, is the way I look at it. That's great. I love it. Um, so where can people find out more about you and your cause so they can check out the videos and participate more if they'd like to? Well, we have a website, versestories.org, and that hosts all their stories. Uh, you can sign up and we send out newsletters with their stories as well. Not frequently, so your inbox won't be full all the time. Um, and we're also on Instagram. We have a big Instagram following. We find that um, a great place because it's also, you know, it's very visual and all of our contents visual. Um, yeah, that's, and Facebook as well. Those are our three big platforms. And the last question I like to ask all my guests is what is one word or quote or mantra that you try to live by every single day? One word or quote. I, um, I'm a big, I love the word hope. I'm a big believer in hope. And I find that it always comes somewhere or another, you know, it's always good to have, sorry, you know, always good to have hope. I think that's my word. 
I love it. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Solomon. I greatly appreciate it. And I look forward to more videos and seeing the help that you provide. No worries. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, I would greatly appreciate a review over on iTunes. And if you'd like to be featured on the podcast, be sure to message me over on Instagram at Kerry, K-E-R-I dot N dot Roberts. Remember that each of us has something that makes us great. So go out there and show the world what makes you extraordinary.